I just wanted to share and, and talk a little bit about uh, continuing our and finalizing our sermon series called Pivot. And I know that we've been going through this four-part series. We've been talking a lot about what it means to really see changes or adjusting in our direction of our life. And some of the things that we've been talking about for those of us who've been here or, th- or those who have not is we've been talking about what it means to pivot directionally. Uh, I think a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how we need to trust God joyfully and he will lead us faithfully. Then the following week, we talked about what it means to pivot emotionally, how sometimes we're at the end of our rope and we need to turn to God who is our ultimate hope. You can tell that this is uh, Pastor Seth, his rhyme game, right? And then last week, we talked about what it means to pivot relationally, how relationships change frequently, so as God's family, we must look at it differently. And so far, we've been talking about so many aspects of our lives that if we're at a standstill, that things are going to come, things that are changing, things that are dynamic, and we're not going to be able to deal with it unless we're learning how to pivot and adjust in different areas of our lives. And that's why today we want to close out with this idea of what it means to pivot spiritually, what it means to pivot spiritually and understand even our spiritual lives, the way that we grow, the way that we understand our relationship with God, how can we even adjust and change in the areas of our lives that are related to our relationship with God, which is ultimately everything, uh, praise God, so I get to preach on a lot of different things this morning, Um, but we want to be able to talk about what it means to pivot spiritually. So you can turn to Matthew chapter 13. Uh, We're going to study a passage, uh, verses 18 to 23, and also, uh, like we mentioned over and over again, that you can also follow along with our notes on the mobile app, so just search HMCC on the App Store, the Google Play Store, and then you can have the little fill-in-the-blank notes and follow along. So turn to that, uh, keep your finger on the screen or your your finger in the page of the Bible, and uh, I just wanted to start with a quick question for us this morning, and and some interactives. I, I need a show of hands. When it comes to staying in fit, staying fit, exercising, or in shape, how many people struggle with that? Struggle with exercising? Okay. Amen. That's most everyone. Some of us are like, no, I don't struggle at all. And then you're like, I hate you, right? You're like, I hate that person. Um, but yeah, that, that's me. I, I'm, I'm so jealous of those people who just exercise and like staying in shape. It just comes naturally. It comes easily, especially those people who like, you know those people who, they can eat anything? And it doesn't matter what they eat, they like gorge themselves and they never gain a single pound or a kilogram, right? Like those are the worst people because you're sitting there, you're eating, you're eating your like bland salad and they're here eating like Jollibee's or Kentucky Fried Chicken and everything that they want, you're like, I want some. But then you're like, I'm trying. But then they tempt you, right? That's the worst as well. And, and I don't know, there's something about staying in shape that is so difficult for most people. And I think this was my case, especially when I was younger. I was, I was pretty self-conscious about my, my weight when I was a kid because I think one of the reasons was because I love food so much. I love food so much. I think uh, for those of you who have eaten like Chinese family-style dinners, there's like the family dishes in the middle, and each person gets their own bowl of rice. And then you're supposed to you know, eat the dishes with the rice. And normally, one bowl of rice is pretty standard for a meal, right? I think growing up, I would eat three bowls of rice with the dishes in the middle. I gorged myself. My mom was really happy. You know, like moms get really happy when their kids eat. But, you know, I think I caused my own pain. Because later on, I, you know, I gained some weight. And there's a picture of, uh, I think I showed this like a year, 
year and a half ago at a retreat. <laughs> and this wasn't even the worst, okay? This was just when I was starting to grow a little bit horizontally. Um, it was really in like, I think it was high school, it was the worst. So like, I'm about 175 uh, centimeters now. Imagine me about five or six centimeters shorter and then like about 10 kgs more, higher. And that, that, that's kind of where I was at. And I was like so insecure about my weight and just how I looked. I think all throughout like high school and middle school. And so that, the reason I share that is it explains why I got into working out and lifting weights. I think if you don't know, I was really into lifting weights. You probably can't tell anymore. Um, <laughs> it's because I got really into it for, I think, about a year or two. In my last year in high school, I got super into it. I went like every other week, and I was like in the weight room and stuff with one of my friends. And then in university life, I totally stopped. I totally stopped. I tried hard and hard again, but I totally stopped. And the problem was is that during that one or two years that I worked out a lot, I gained a lot of muscle. Believe it or not, I gained a lot of muscle. <laughs> but then as soon as you stop, what happens? It just all disappears. It totally disappears. And it's as if like nothing ever, ever happened in your life and you've never been to the weight room. And, and I was so frustrated in university when I was like, you know, I, I tried to get back into it. I never really got back into it. And now I'm here where I am and I'm just like now 30 years old and like, I always tell people, you know, like, people are like, oh, are you working on that six-pack? And I'm like, no, I'm just working on my, you know, one-pack, okay? That's, that's all I'm working on. And I was thinking about this concept of physical growth because I realized it's so difficult. But I realized there's so many parallels between my experience in trying to grow and get fit and get in shape with even spiritual growth and how that happens and how hard it is to grow spiritually but how easy it is to fall back in so many ways in our lives. And I was doing some research, and I was thinking, because I, I, oftentimes when we teach classes on you know, ministry or spiritual growth, we always talk about, or I always give this analogy of how sometimes to really grow, it requires you to be stretched. Because you know, what happens is you know, you're tearing your muscles um, when you're actually lifting weights, and that's when your body actually reinforces the muscle to help you to grow. And I always shared that, but I never really looked into the biology of it. So I, I found this video on the scientific reasons for why muscle actually grows when you lift weights or when you work out. It's a little bit of like a biology video, but I wanted to share it because the parallels between physical growth and spiritual growth are so similar. And I wanted us to see this video so that we can draw some of those parallels and then talk about how we can pivot spiritually. So let's watch this video together. All right, how many bio nerds out there? You're like excited? Um, and, I, and I was looking at that video and the, the one with the outstretched arm with the muscles. You know, I don't know how many of you have seen like new, new moms, new mothers with babies. They're ripped with their arms, right? It's like, they, it's because they're holding their babies the whole time. And, and I was thinking about this, uh, this concept of this growth and the muscles and, and the tearing and how, like, you really need that resistance to help that to grow. And, and I realized it's crazy the fact that that's how muscles actually grow is you actually tear the muscles a little bit, and then your body reinforces it to actually help it to strengthen. Otherwise, it's going to shrink. And it's the same with our spiritual lives. If we're not constantly changing, pivoting, putting stresses in our spiritual life, then our spiritual lives are going to shrink and shrivel 
and die eventually. And interestingly, even though this is a biology video, it, it became a philosophical video at the very end. I don't know if you caught the very last statement that the video made, because, you know, sorry, the video was a little bit like helium, right? He's like talking very high pitched. The normal video is normal speed, but I sped it up a little bit so it's faster. But he said, it is with muscles as it is with life. Meaningful growth requires challenge and stress. Just let that sink in for a little bit. It's kind of deep, right? <laughs> From a biology, like, muscle growth video, right? It is with muscles, and it is with life. Meaningful growth requires challenge and stress. And my question for us this morning is, have we allowed our spiritual lives to just plateau and just become stagnant? Or are there different situations in our lives that we're being challenged by, that we're being stressed by, that will cause us to actually grow spiritually? This uh, author, Henry Drummond, and uh, there was a collection of his, uh, of his quotes and his sayings in The Greatest Thing in the World, the book. He says, if a man does not exercise his arm, he develops no bicep muscle. And if a man does not exercise his soul, he acquires no muscle in his soul, no strength of character, no vigor of moral fiber, nor beauty of spiritual growth. And my hope this morning for us is that we will not be people who miss out on the abundant things that God has for us, whether it's the strength of character, whether it's the moral fiber, whether it's the beauty of spiritual growth that maybe some of us we've experienced before at different times in our lives. And for whatever reason, we've just kind of fallen short or fallen off the radar recently. But I want to use this passage this morning to really talk about how can we actually get back on the path of growing spiritually Together. And so that's why the one thing this morning I want to give us is that God's role is to expose our spiritual situation, and our responsibility is to prioritize maturation. God's role is to expose our spiritual situation. And if you looked at the passage already, you'll, you'll notice that we're going to look at the parable of the sower, and, and Jesus is going to use that to expose the different conditions of our heart in different situations. And our responsibility, then, is to prioritize maturation. I want to talk about two things. The first point is going to be a little bit longer, and we're going to finish with a shorter second point. But the first point, we're going to go through the parable of the sower and talk about the three different situations that are obstacles to maturity. We're going to talk about three different examples that Jesus gives using the parable of the sower to describe obstacles to maturity, things that hinder us from experiencing this spiritual growth. Let's read. Hopefully you've turned to Matthew 13 by now. If not, you can read on with someone next to you if you don't have a Bible. Turn to them and say, please grow a little bit and share with me. Okay, let's read verses 18 to 19. Here's what it says. Hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. I'm going to pause there and just talk a little bit about what is now Jesus talking about. This is a parable that Jesus talks about. And we're not actually reading the parable itself, but after Jesus told the parable, the disciples were totally confused. They're like, what does this mean, Jesus? And then Jesus, he was, I, this is one of the few times that he actually answered the disciples. Usually he doesn't answer them straight up. But he says, okay, let me explain it to you. And so now he's saying, 
hear then the parable of the sower. Now he's explaining each of the examples and what the spiritual meaning of the parable is. And, and for many of us, I wanted to explain what is a parable. According to the Holman Bible Dictionary, parable are stories, especially those of Jesus, told to provide a vision of life, especially life in God's kingdom. Parable means a putting alongside for purposes of comparison and new understanding. So simply what a parable is, it's a story. It's an illustration. It's something that Jesus uses oftentimes in the, in the Gospels. Jesus tells parables to illustrate a lesson or a spiritual principle for something that he wanted to communicate to his disciples. And for us this morning, he's now talking about what does it look like to grow. And he uses the parable of the sower. He uses this idea of a farmer sowing seeds, planting it in the soil. And the soil is, an, is a metaphor for our hearts. And when the seed, which is the word of God, is planted into our hearts, what happens? And what allows some seed to grow versus what allows other seeds to not grow? So we're going to look at these three different conditions of the soil. Actually, four. But we're going to start with the three conditions that Jesus addresses. The first is that the path, that soil reveals a lack of understanding. The first condition of the heart is a lack of understanding. I want to read that verse 19 again. It says, When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. We notice right here that Jesus' first command is to hear. And the word hear is repeated in each example of the parable. And, and the question for me that, that stuck out was, okay, what does it mean to hear versus what does it mean to understand? Because Jesus is here talking about how someone who hears the word but doesn't understand it. And I think intuitively we might have some idea of what the difference between hearing and understanding. Of course, you know, hearing is one thing, but understanding, it goes a little bit deeper. And I wanted to look into the definition. So Strong's definition from the concordance, definition to hear, is A, to attend to, to consider what is or has been said. Which I was like, okay, you know, you kind of consider it, and that just means you hear it. The second definition really threw me off. It said, to understand, perceive the sense of what is said. I, I don't know if any of you were confused when you saw this, but if Jesus says someone who heard but didn't understand, and the very definition of hear, hear, has the word understand. I'm like, uh, what does that mean? I'm so confused with what's going on right now. And, and I think I was just thinking about it. What does it mean to, to hear versus understand? And why is that word even in the definition of to hear? And I'm realizing, you know, maybe this, under, this word understand doesn't mean the same thing that we know about it today, or we commonly use it in the English language. Contrary to what we might think, it's not just this idea of like going in one ear and out the other, right? And I think some of you, uh, if you've ever had like a, a, you know, a really good friend that you're going out to dinner with or lunch, or you have that significant other, and you ask that person, hey, um, what do you want to eat today? <laughs> and you know the answer, oh, I don't care. <laughs> and you're like, oh, okay, how about this place? Oh, no, I'm not really feeling that right now. Don't worry, that's not the other person, that's me, right? <laughs> that's what happens, you know, um, when you have these kind of relationships. And it's not just this idea of like, it's not, it's confusing, right? You're confused at what does it mean to hear versus what it means to understand. 
And it's not just going in one ear and out the other. I, I think people oftentimes tell me, like, hey, Bo, like, you're really good at tuning things out. And I, I don't know what happens in my mind. Maybe it's just, like, I'm super introverted. And so, like, when I'm focused on a task, like, it's like the whole world, like, freezes. And the only thing that matters is my, like, iPad screen. <laughs> That's the only thing I'm focused on. And then whenever someone else is talking, I don't know if you've seen in, like, certain videos, but it's, like, that, that video shot of, like, that person just focused on that one thing, and everything else is blurry in the background. If someone is talking, it's just that blurry person's face, just, like, the mouth moving, right? Like, that's my life oftentimes, right? And some people in my life get very frustrated with that. Um, but that's not what this necessarily hearing is referring to. It's not just, like, oh, I didn't really hear it. I knew something was happening, but I didn't really hear it. But it's this actual understanding that there is an attentive to or there has been considered what has been said. So this person that Jesus is talking about has actually heard not just the mouth moving, but has actually heard what has been said. There's some perception, there's some sense of what was being communicated. Okay, so let's now look at the definition of understand. Strong's definition of understand. It says, to put together, for example, mentally, to comprehend by implication, to act piously, to consider, to understand, to be wise. And when I read this definition, I started putting the dots together. I said, oh, this actually makes sense. Now the difference between hearing and understanding, at least in Jesus' context. Because while hearing over here is just you're aware of something, you maybe intellectually understand. But when we look at this def definition of understanding, it's, no longer just being aware of something, but it's now the second level of putting things together. When there's a lot of different information, you put it, you make sense of it. It's this idea of acting piously. I don't know how many of us, we associate action with the concept of understanding. Understanding in this sense is not just intellectual or logical assent. It goes beyond that, and it's actually acting according to your understanding. The Amplified Version translates that word understanding as grasp. The message translation translates it as take it in. It means it's something part of you, inside of you, that when it's part of you, that means the way that you live now reflects the understanding that you have. So it's no longer separate from what you believe up here and how you live, but it is all connected. I, I remember sitting in the seats that you're in right now and Pastor Seth being here preaching. And I remember when I was an undergrad, he would always say something about like, when you get married, you'll understand. You know, like so, so, the X, Y, and Z. And, um, and I always thought like, oh yeah, like we'll see what happens when, when that happens, right? And I was like, yeah, no, I'm not going to understand more. I, I understand pretty well right now. And oh, was I, you know, <laughs> yeah, I was... I don't know what I was on. Anyways, <laughs> so the, this whole idea of hearing and understanding, I realized it just came true this past week. Um, so <laughs> after I get married, uh, Eric and I, we moved in together. And you know, it's like when you, when you have a roommate, you start to discover all new things about the other person, right? And I'm sure you, many of you who are college students, you're learn, you've learned a lot of great things, joyful things about your roommate that you have. Uh, and married couples, your permanent roommate. And when we first started living together, you know, I was like, okay, I'm going to be a good husband. I'm going to try to serve and love and do the best that I can. And so one of the things that came up 
was I grew in a household with all guys and, and my mom. So it was my, my dad, my brother, and myself. So it was a, a guy-dominated house, and my mom, I felt bad for her. I wish, you know, I really believe that she wanted daughters, but too bad, she got us. So <laughs> anyway, so like I was always used to just, you know, going to the bathroom and, and being okay and just leaving. You know, of course, washing hands and stuff like that. Um, <laughs> men, wash your hands, okay? <laughs> sisters, it's disgusting if you don't. And I know, sisters, some of you don't wash your hands too, okay? So wash your hands. <laughs> um, anyway, side point. But, so, okay, so I have to explain this. So sisters, some of you who don't have brothers or any, something like that, you don't realize that guys, like, they don't need to put this toilet seat down when they go. And so I grew up never putting the toilet seat down when I was growing up. And then all of a sudden, this past week, I got a request like, hey, can you put the toilet seat down after you go? And in my mind, I'm like, okay, I'm going to be a good husband. And yeah, of course, I'll do whatever to serve you. You know, and I'm going to do my best. And I will put the toilet seat down. And then I, I think a couple of times I failed, right? So I was like, okay, okay, let me try again. And I remember there was this one time I was like just... I was about to go to the bathroom, and I hear this voice, hey, don't remember, put the toilet seat down. I'm like, okay, I got it, don't worry, I got you. And so I'm going, and I'm like, okay, put the toilet seat down, put the toilet seat down, I'm like chanting to myself. And then after I'm done, like, I'm like, okay, I got this, I remember to put the toilet seat down, and then I don't know what happens in the bathroom, but like something happened, and I was like blowing my nose, and I was like washing my hands, and then for whatever reason, I forgot. <laughs> And then I left the bathroom, and like, I think like a couple minutes later, I hear this voice, you forgot to put the toilet seat down. And I was like, oh, man, like, I forgot. And I was like, oh, shoot, like, oh, you know, and of course I can make this excuse, like, oh, I just forgot, you know, I'll just do it next time. And then I mean, the person's like, of course you're going to do it next time, right? <laughs> but I realized that's a, a great example of, I realized, well, I've heard. And I intellectually know that I ought to put the toilet seat down. Amen, sisters, you know? And you probably, if those of you who have brothers or fathers who never put the toilet seat down, you're like, amen, right? But I intellectually understood I need to put the toilet seat down. But I didn't really understand that I needed to put the toilet seat down to the point where it actually changed my life. I don't know why we're talking about the, the life change of putting toilet seats down. But to the point where my life changed, it didn't get to that point because I still haven't put the toilet seat down. One day, you'll hear praises and joy from the worship setting, right? It's like, you finally put the toilet seat down. But I realize it's, it's so true that there's this difference between really just knowing something in our heads versus actually living something out deep in our hearts to the point where it actually changes the way that you live, the way that we carry ourselves. Not just behavioral change, right? Not just doing it because you know it's a good thing, but really because it's a part of who you are, right? If, if I'd grown up with sisters and I was trained, it was a part of who I was, then there would be no problem, but that's not part of who I am yet, yet, hopefully. And this is the corollary between us and our spiritual lives. This is for us, many of us, isn't it? When it comes to the Word of God, when it comes to biblical truths, when it comes to understanding good Christian things that we ought to do or we ought to believe, we all get it up here. But the problem is we don't apply it into our lives. 
This is so many of us. We go to all the Bible studies. We sit through the sermons. And I know some of you are sitting in that sermon. You're like, oh, I wish that person was here right now. I wish that person could just hear this right now because they would be so convicted and, you know, they're going to repent and they're going to grow. How many of us, we realize this is for you. This is for me. That it's us right now sitting in these seats right now. The very thing that we need to take from our intellects down to our hearts. There's a gap that we're missing right now. Frederick Robertson, he says this in a collection of sermons preached at Brighton. He says, It is not the number of books you read, nor the variety of sermons you hear, nor the amount of religious conversation in which you mix, but it is the frequency and earnestness with which you meditate on these things till the truth in them becomes your own and part of your being that ensures your growth. It doesn't matter how many sermons you listen to. I know some of you listen to like, you know, you're like, oh, uh, uh, you know, HMC Hong Kong sermons, are, they're all right. Don't, I know, I, I see some of you falling asleep. Don't worry, okay? It's really obvious. Some of you are like, oh, yeah, I hope he doesn't see me, you know? Like, we see everything, okay? <laughs> and you listen to, you know, sermons by, you know, renowned preachers like John Piper and Francis Chan, Judas Smith. And you're like, wow, and Tim Keller. And you're like, wow, they're so deep. And you listen to all these sermons, and you, and you find all these different resources, and, and you, you're all in the Christian group, and you grew up in, in Bible school, and you, you were the youth group president, and you did all the Bible quizzes, and you know all the verses, you know all the stories. And you think somehow that that intellectual understanding means something about your spiritual growth. But it means nothing if it doesn't translate into what you live out every single day in your life. You can know everything about, uh, we, we love that verse in 1 Corinthians 13, right? What is, that, what is that passage about? Love. I love love, right? Love is patient. Love is kind. But you don't love a single person. How many of us, we read verse after verse. We do our soap every single day. And some of you, we, we do our soap because, oh, I have to because my LCG and my life leader, they're going to yell at me if I don't do it. You even have an application section, right? You're like, this is what I'm going to do, and you never do it. <laughs> this is the problem. It's because we know so much up here, but it never translates deeper into our hearts. When is the last time that you let God word, God's word really change the way that you live and actually try to live it out on a day-to-day -day basis? That's the question. Next time you read your soap, next time you hear a sermon, we give you next steps. You're like, oh my God, there's so many next, next steps. Pick one and just do that one. Set aside 10 minutes. If you can't afford 10 minutes, I, I don't know what's going on with your life. You can afford 10 minutes to do something about it. Some of us are so passive in our understanding of God's word and we're like, okay, I, I can kind of do this, but... Some of us were so passive in our understanding of God's word that we think that our understanding in our previous life season or life stage will get us into the next one. But how many of us, we know that's not going to happen? Those of you who are graduating, amen? Like, it's hard, right? You're, gonna, you're trying to figure out your new job situation. It's going to be difficult. But some of us, we think, oh, I know Jesus. I know the cross. I'm set. I'm saved. Life is good. 
And you think that's all that understanding the gospel is really about. But I don't know if you notice in verse 19, Jesus doesn't talk about when anyone hears the word of salvation. He doesn't say anyone hears the word of the cross. What does he say? He says, when anyone hears the word of the what? Kingdom. Why is that word so important? Because the good news of Jesus Christ is not just about you or your salvation. It's not just about you going to heaven. Yes, you will go to heaven. Yes, you will have an eternal relationship with God. But if you think that God's word is all about you and just you having a happy life for the rest of your life, then you've totally missed out on the good news of Jesus. Because the good news of Jesus is about God's kingdom coming to this earth. In Luke 4, verse 21, this is Jesus, when he's doing ministry, he went to the synagogue, and he unrolls a scroll, and this is what he says. He's he's talking about himself. He's quoting a passage from one of the prophets, Isaiah. In Luke 4, 21, it says, And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. It said, in verse 18, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim Good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty to those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And I didn't put it up here, but later in verse 40 or 43, he says, I must go now preach the good news of the kingdom to others as well. So this is the good news of the kingdom of God. It's not about your own salvation. It's not about your own happy Christian life. It's about God's kingdom coming to this world and he is using Jesus and by connection because we are his disciples, he's now using us to be good news to those who don't have it yet, to those who are suffering, to those who are blind, to those who are depressed, to those who are suffering. How many of us, when we understood the good news of Jesus, that we said, I cannot keep this to myself anymore. It cannot just be this understanding of knowledge that I have in my life, but it has to change the very fiber of how I live. And not just how I live in terms of like, okay, I just got to share the gospel now with my friends, you know? No, not just that. It should change your very values, what you care about, who you associate with, how you love, how you see a person on the street who's hurting, how you get involved in social issues, Some of us, we lack this understanding of the gospel because we've kept it so much at this level of just about my salvation. Where it goes so much deeper than that. To being part of God's kingdom work. To be part of the poor, the captives, the blind, the oppressed. People who are hurting. And what does that mean? It means it requires action. It can't just be something that's kept up here. It requires us to do something about it. Many of you are passionate about different social issues. And I know there's, there's a problem with making the gospel just about social work. And it shouldn't just be about social work. We should always preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and the cross and his resurrection. But if you never do something good for someone else, then you've totally missed out on the gospel. No wonder the devil is able to snatch away the blessings. In verse 19, if you, I don't know if you noticed that word snatch. And I was thinking about that word snatch. It's not just snatching away in terms of a bird, snatching it off the path. 
But Jesus also mentions this word snatch. It's consistent for how Jesus describes what Satan does in people's lives. He's not just snatching the word. He's snatching your whole life away. In John 10.10, in the Amplified, it says, The thief comes only in order to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life, enjoy life, and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. The fact that you don't understand, that we don't understand, that I do not understand God's word, and I'm not living it out and applying it, my, applying it in my life. That's what enables Satan to snatch the very blessings of abundant life that Jesus promises away from us. Some of you are wondering, like, oh, why am I not experiencing the goodness of God? Why, why haven't I felt like God loves me? Why is my spiritual life so dreary recently? Why am I struggling so much? I'm wondering if it's because you haven't taken a step to act or obey God's word. Because for you, it's all about, oh, I need to know God's love more. Which is true, but it's because you've never taken that step to apply it into your life. Let's not let the devil, let's not let Satan snatch these things away from us. But God, let's let that promise where Jesus came to give us and to enjoy life, to have it abundantly. We want to experience that. Let's experience it. So how about us? Where are we in our spiritual lives? Are we experiencing this life abundant? Have we become skeptical? Have we become jaded, closed off? Have there been previous experiences in our lives that cause us to feel hurt, whether it's by people in the church, people outside of the church, whether just life circumstances, tragedies that have happened recently that say, you know, forget it, God. I, I don't want to try anymore. Whatever it is that is causing us to have those kind of thoughts or doubts, I want to challenge us. Don't let Satan snatch that abundant life away from us because we have this perspective, because we have this cynical, fatalistic perspective. But let's believe that God wants to give us this abundant life. We might not see it right now, but that's his promise. That's his truth. Even uh, one thing I wanted to mention was even this coming summer life group, I hope many of us were excited. Yay, summer life group, you know, single gender. I can't, I can't wait, no girls. I can't wait, none of those pig guys, you know, those disgusting guys. <laughs> I want to challenge us. What's our mentality toward life group this coming summer? I want to confess for myself, even like in the last couple of weeks, you know, I was like dreading coming back because I was enjoying the honeymoon too much. You know, I was like, Lord, let me stay in Hawaii forever. <laughs> but after some time, it gets dreary and boring. Some of you are like, huh? <laughs> How? It does. And some of you might be thinking the same about life group. Like, oh, I've done there. I've been there. And some of us are like, oh, my God, another LCG. You know, another relationship, a new group of people I have to invest in. But I'm wondering if we can change our mentality and say, you know what, God, this is a perfect opportunity to grow. For my understanding, that's only here to come down to here. I'm wondering if that first life group, when you know your life group leaders are going to ask you that question, what are you expecting for life group this season? <laughs> and what are you going to say? Oh, you know the same things. I, I want to grow, and I want to love people, and love God, and make disciples. And, you're like, and your leader's like, sure. <laughs> what are we going to say? Are we going to be genuine about wanting to grow this season? 
I think we don't have single gender life groups throughout the whole year. And this is one of the most pivotal times, one of the most awesome times to really grow together with other brothers or other sisters, I think married couples as well, to really grow and develop and say, hey, brother, hey, sister, you know, I, I really want to develop in this area. I really see this in my life that I don't understand because it's just up here, but it's not here. Can you help me to grow through that? Can we really look forward to those kind of opportunities this summer? Amen? Amen. Let's continue on. Uh, verses 20 to 21. I want to finish off the last few sections a little bit quicker. It says, As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. So the first one was lack of understanding. The second example that Jesus gives is now this situation on the rocky ground, and it is a lack of depth. The obstacle that Jesus is now addressing is a lack of depth. We notice that for this person, there is some understanding and even immediate joy, but the problem is that the roots didn't go deep enough. Jesus even mentions that he endures for a while, that there is some joy there, but there, there is no solid foundation to allow that to continue on. In the New Living Translation, that phrase is translated, doesn't have deep roots. In the New Century Version, it says, does not let the teaching go deep into his life. And so the problem is that so many of us were so shallow in our understanding of who God is and our relationship that whenever things come up, that it's so easy to fall away. And this is for many of us. And I, I wanted to address some of us that when we read this parable, for many of us, we think that this parable, it's all about those people who recently received Jesus or those pre-Christians, right? I know this was when I first read the parable. I was like, oh, usually it's, it's the new believers that this is relevant for, right? Because they are first being preached the word and then whatever happens, then 30, 60, 100 times, that's like gonna be their life fruit. But I want to challenge us to think about this in a different way where actually this is for us. This is for us, no matter if you've been following Jesus for a week or a year or 10 years. This is the problem I have with many Christians who've been Christian for a while. We've grown up in a Christian household. We say, oh, I was a womb Christian, you know? Ha, ha, ha. I've been going to church longer than you have. My question is, Jesus was saying this to the disciples. When did the disciples get saved? Do you ever think about that? When did the disciples become Christian? And some of us might be saying, oh, the first time that the disciples said, Jesus, you are Lord. But then what happens? They say Jesus is Lord later on too. But then they deny him after that. So was it after the first time, the second time, after they deny him and then came back to him, did they not deny him again? There's not one point in Scripture, in the Gospels, where it says this is the definitive point where the disciples, they received Jesus Christ. But all throughout Jesus' life, their understanding of who Jesus was got deeper. And my hope and my prayer for us as a church is that every single one of us, we can have testimonies of going deeper in our relationship with God. I don't know how many of you have heard testimonies or you've heard some of your friends say like, oh my God. I feel like I received Jesus for the first time. And you're like, you got baptized two years ago. <laughs> What's wrong with you, right? And then, you're, yeah, I don't know if you're like this, but you're like, 
what's wrong with you? You know, like, what have you been doing this whole time? You're on leadership. What's, you know, what's, what's wrong with you? I, I thought you were a Christian. Did you just become a Christian? Uh-oh, my whole mind is blown, you know, and I don't know what's going on. Or some of us, we say, like, oh, this is the first time I ever experienced the gospel. I know some of us, we've, we've felt that, we experienced it. Some of us, we've never had that experience before. My hope is that every single one of us, we will have that, not just once, but over and over and over and over again. Because it's a great sign that your understanding of who Jesus is and the gospel is going deeper and deeper and deeper in our lives. Where do we see this lack of depth in our lives most often? We notice that the lack of depth is seen where there are trials on account of the word. And this is where it becomes a little bit more practical for us and how we can grow in depth. In the New Century Version, it says that, that phrase, on account of the word, it says, because of the teaching he accepted. In the New Living Translation, it says, for believing God's word. And so this whole idea of on account of the word, it really means that if someone has believed, genuinely, earnestly believed God's word, his truth, the things that are written in the Bible, that there will be trials, tribulations, persecutions that come. And you might ask, why are persecution, trials, and tribulations connected with depth? It is intimately connected. Because it's the very trials, tribulations, difficulties is what's going to take you deeper in understanding who God is. Some of us, we're like, okay, I took a step. I became a Sunday Christian. That's enough for me. I don't want to go any deeper. Some of us, we took that Sunday Christian to the next level. We said, I became a life group Christian. I not only go to Sunday, I go to life group every week. Look at me, that badge of honor. Some of us are like, I not only became a life group, I'm, I'm now a member. I'm a member Christian. HMCC of Hong Kong member. I did it. And I'm accomplished. I'm there. I have arrived. But what is it about that that we've arrived? That say we're, we're done, we're no longer growing anymore. If we see our spiritual life as just trying to climb these tiers of progression, of titles, then we've missed the point. Because growing and understanding who God is is an infinite understanding until we die and go to be with Jesus Christ and we see him face to face. I know some of us, we're encountering trials like that where God is constantly pushing us to the limit of what we think we can handle. Some of us, we received Jesus Christ recently, and now, you know, while we're getting discipled, we're learning, you know, we're realizing, oh, I ought to share my faith with my friends. But then the fear is like, oh, my friends are going to judge me. Well, they're not going to accept me. I'm, t- I'm scared of what they're going to think of me. And God is pushing you to go deeper by sharing your faith with someone. Some of us were in this boat of, I received Jesus, but my mom and dad, X, Y, and Z. They'll disown me. They'll cut me off. They'll come to Hong Kong, kidnap me, and take me back to my home country. If I ever got baptized, that's what would happen. If I ever went on missions, that would happen. If I ever stayed in Hong Kong because of the church or because of what God is doing in my life, I don't know what's going to happen, God. I'm terrified. Let me challenge you right now. Is that sitting among you right now, there are testimonies 
of brothers and sisters who were exactly in those shoes, who overcame. It wasn't easy, but who overcame. They took that step of faith. And I would say with almost 100% confidence, it took them deeper in their relationship with God. Amen? Those of you who were in those situations, you, you, you were going to get baptized, but you faced opposition from your family. You, you were trying to go on missions, but then, you know, your parents were so worried about what's going to happen in China because China's China. Like, oh, my God, what if I, you know, get kicked out or get arrested or, you know, all this kind of stuff. And what happened after you took that step? It went deeper. Your trust in who he is went deeper. It grew stronger. I would just encourage some of us, the Ignite Conference is not only a missions conference where we get to celebrate all these things, but it's an amazing opportunity to grow deeper in our understanding of who God is. So many of us were terrified of missions. You know, like, is it for me? Is it not? We're on the fence. We're like, I don't know, God. I'm not ready for this yet. But I want to challenge us that it's an amazing opportunity to grow deeper in who God is, the God of missions. Because if you don't know who God is, he's a God on mission. He was the first missionary. Do you know who that what that person's name was? It's Jesus. Because he went from heaven, he came to earth to be the missionary to earth that we needed to save us. Let's grow deeper in our understanding of our faith. And through adversity, oftentimes that will be the way that we grow deeper. Charles Stanley, in the book called uh, How to Handle Adversity, he talks about this. He says, adversity is not a simply a tool. It is God's most effective tool for the advancement of our spiritual lives. The circumstances and events that we see as setbacks are oftentimes the very things that launch us into periods of intense spiritual growth. Once we begin to understand this and accept it as a spiritual fact of life, adversity becomes easier to bear. I'm wondering, if we can see setbacks, if we can see adversity, if we can see challenges, if we can see trials as good things, that will take us deeper in our relationship with God. That will set us on this trajectory of intense spiritual growth. I don't know how many of you experienced it. I've experienced it. The hardest times when I was unemployed, that was when I really had to fight for my faith. Back in Ann Arbor, there was a time where I was unemployed for six months. My parents were breathing down my neck, like, why are you staying in Ann Arbor for the church? Blah, blah, blah. You should go bring, going to the Bay Area, like finding these tech companies. And I was struggling so hard, and I think there were brothers and sisters who encouraged me to stand firm and to endure and to trust God. And that really deepened my faith that even when I came to Hong Kong, I was employed for another six months. I think, yeah, it was about six months. It really helped me to overcome in those moments. You never know the very things that God is doing in your life. is preparing you for something in the future that he wants you to do. And so like we've been talking about the last three weeks, something directionally in your life, your future direction, your vocation, your calling, there's something that's a trial right now. Some of you, it's emotionally. You're just undergoing so much stress, pain, depression, struggle. I know this might be hard to hear, but it's good for you. Not because the pain is fun, but because you're going to be stronger for it later. And some of you, relationally, you're pivoting. Because there are people who are here or who are not here in your life. You know what it's going to do for you? It's going to help you to become more resilient. It's going to help you to grow stronger in your faith. You're not going to rely on people. Yes, it's still healthy to have good accountability relationships, but you need to grow so that you can stand on your own when circumstances come. 
And so let's not let the obstacle of lack of depth hinder us from knowing who God is. Let's talk about the last obstacle and read verse 22. It says, As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. The last obstacle that I wanted to talk about this morning is not only the lack of understanding, not only the lack of depth, but also the lack of focus. It is a lack of focus. We notice that the main problem in this last example that Jesus gives comes from the care of and deceitfulness of the world. It's not necessarily just material possessions that are bad in and of themselves. Money in and of itself is not bad. In fact, yeah, it's good. And we need money. We need resources to be able to do ministry. But it's the care. It's the worry. It's the deceitfulness. It's the worldly things that promise you satisfaction that really leave you empty once you get it. How many of you watched uh, Avengers Endgame? Yeah? It was good? You were happy? Please don't spoil it for me. I haven't watched it yet. I still need to watch it. Okay? Something about 3,000 that I don't understand still. Um, but how many of you are like super pumped for watching Endgame before you went in? And afterward, you were like, wow, that was a really great movie. Show of hands. It was a really great movie. Yes? How many of you, like, that happiness after you watch Endgame is still, like, fueling you for the rest of your life? <laughs> no, right? It doesn't. And, and we don't expect it to. And that's not something we, we don't put the expectation of the movie Endgame to give us satisfaction and happiness for the rest of our lives. But this is the crazy thing is we do that all the time. We do that with money. We do that with purchases. We do that with shopping. We do that with career, our future, our job, our relationships. We take things of the world that never, ever promise eternal satisfaction and hope, and we put on them labels, and we expect them to give us that eternal satisfaction and hope. Even though for things like Endgame, of course, we don't expect that. And this is the very issue that Jesus is trying to address when he says that the care and deceitfulness of the world, it chokes out the word. That word to choke, I'm going to give it in a couple of different translations. In the New Century Version, it says, stop the teaching from growing. It stops it. Whatever was growing, you might have been growing to a certain extent, and then for whatever reason, it just stops. You plateau. And the New Living Translation says, crowd it out. By worries. I don't know how many of you were at the wedding, but we, we had this beautiful picture of the bouquet toss. And we had a couple single ladies who were having a great time because they wanted to catch the bouquet. They were boxing people out. They were like, give me that, you know, give me that bouquet. And for those of you who don't know, it's like whoever gets the flowers, supposedly that's the next person who's going to get married. So everyone wanted to catch the bouquet. And they were like crowding out all the other women. You know, and so none of the other women could have gotten the bouquet. And that's what happens to our spiritual lives, right? It's not, I mean, it's not the bouquet toss, right? But it's all these other things in our lives. It's the money, it's the future, it's the dreams that we have that are not of God. They start to crowd out the spiritual fruit and life that God wants us to experience. It cuts it off. It's crowded out. The amplified version, it says, strangle what was heard. I like this word strangle because it's a very violent term. 
If you have ever been strangled at the neck, at the throat, you feel like you're dying. You feel like you're being choked out to where all the life is being sucked out of you. I don't know if you've, anyone has had like a near drowning experience or have been choked by your older sibling because they were a terrible older sibling. <laughs> I wasn't one of those, okay, I promise. You know it's like one of the worst feelings ever. And this is, this is where the analogy of the plant comes in. Is when we think about plants, when we think about a plant that's being choked out, a plant that's choked out, it's strangled, it dies. A plant either grows or it doesn't grow. There's no like in between, right? Like a tree, you know, those rings, like you think, like you see that tree and it doesn't, you know, like yesterday it was the same, today it's the same. Oh, it must not be growing, right? No, it's still growing. It's like it builds just one ring every single year. The tree is still growing, you just can't see it. But if that tree stops growing, that means it's dead. And for many of us, I was just thinking about this, many of us, we've done this life group activity where we're like, oh, I'm so excited. We're going to take this plant and we're going to grow it together, right? And you, you take this seed and you buy some soil and you fertilize and you add some water and you put the seed and you're like, wow. And you share it on your WhatsApp. Like, wow, I got a sprout. Praise God. And everyone's like so excited. And then the problem is like, this is where the problem goes, happens, is you pass it to the other person. The next person in the life group has to take care of the plant, right? And then somewhere along the way, we don't know who, but it dies. <laughs> you're like, oh, sad. And what happens when a plant, that plant dies? What do you do with it? You throw it away. I mean, some people are like, oh, sad. You know, that was my plant. Please, why did you don't throw it away? But you're like, okay, fine, throw it away. And some of you are like, finally, I don't have to take care of it anymore. But that's what happens. When a plant dies, we throw it away. And this is the ridiculous thing, is you would never put a dead plant in your decoration or your display or some kind of, you know, like, setting for your home. Because it's dead. Because it's been choked out, it's been strangled. But why is it that we're okay that if our spiritual lives are dead, we still put that on display every single day? That's my challenge for us that there's so many things that are choking out our spiritual lives. And we're not okay with dead plants, but every single, we're, every single day we're okay with a dead spiritual life. We're okay that every single week we go to church, we don't get anything out of it, we're just kind of apathetic, we're just going through the motions, and we're like, you know, what can I do? I can't do anything about it. I'm just, I guess this is how it is. This is the, the, the Christian life that I'm supposed to experience. There's so much more that God wants us to experience. That if we change our attitude, our perspective, that God is so much bigger than a dead plant, that he can clear out the thorns and the worries of our life, that if we'd only repent of the idols that we have, really, whose responsibility is it to repent of our idols? Is it God's? No, it's ours. It's our responsibility. And if we're the ones who are constantly complaining that our spiritual lives are, on, are, are on empty and dead, and we don't think to ourselves, realize, hey, there might be something that I'm placing over God in my life that shouldn't be there, then that's on us. That's on me and you. We need to confess and repent of those things. Otherwise, we're never going to grow. 
this is a spiritual principle that Jesus talked about, Matthew 6, verses 24. He said, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. And this is the scary thing about the Christian life, is that if you're going after idols, that means you are not serving God. If you're not serving God, that means your spiritual life is dying. And we are not ones to judge, but there's always these verses in the Bible that are terrifying, where Jesus says to people who said, oh, look at all these things, God, I did for you. I did miracles. I healed people. I I did all these things. And God says, I never knew you. I hope it's a wake-up call for some of us that we haven't experienced God in so long because we're chasing after all of our own dreams. That maybe, just maybe, it's a sign or God trying to get our attention that something's really wrong with our spiritual life. And while we're on the topic of this verse, I wanted to just mention one of the biggest idols that we struggle with in our day and age today is finances, is money. And there's a reason why Jesus talks about money so frequently in the Bible, and we need to be unashamed in preaching about it because it's such a sensitive topic, but it's such a misunderstood topic. And I know even as Joanna was sharing, and oftentimes I share on Sundays, we always give a verse for the offering, and and I know many of you are like, you could probably repeat exactly what I say for offering every single day because I say the same thing every single time. You're like, oh, okay, you know, if you're new here, please let the basket pass, and, you know, we don't want you to feel any obligation to give, and blah, blah, blah. You're like, okay, here we go again. It's offering time. Here's another verse, blah, blah, blah. okay, what are we doing? And, and, and it just gets this feeling like, okay, I have, to, I have to give. And it's just something that the church wants from me. But this is something that we're always saying, is that generosity and giving is not something that we want from you, but it's something that God wants for you. And the reason is because this is an idol in every single person's life that will choke out and hinder you from growing in the way that God wants us to grow. Money is one of the biggest hindrances to spiritual growth. I know many of us, we're really great giving our time. We're really great in spending time with people, like using our gifts to build up the church. But for many of us, finances and treasure is this little closeted off area of our lives that we're saying, God, you cannot touch this. It's mine. I grew up in this family. You don't even know, God, my situation. My parents were poor. I had to work hard to get where I am. Even the fact that I'm university here right now, it is, it is a miracle. It was my hard work, and, and my parents are paying an arm and a leg for it, and I'm not going to waste it. You don't know that that very attitude is going to kill your spiritual life in the future. You're going to hold on to money so much that when God asks you to do something in the future, you're not going to be able to do it because you're holding on to this idol of money. And you don't know that one of the biggest causes of marital infidelity or marital conflict is what? Finances. And if you don't deal with it now, those of you who are undergrad and single adults, then you will find out later when you get married. Amen, married couples? Amen? (laughs) I would say amen, but I'm I'm just a newbie, so when we get there. And so let's not let lack of focus on God and God alone, rather than all the distractions of the world hinder us from really growing spiritually together. 
And so that will, those were the three obstacles of maturity that Jesus now addresses. I wanted to finish off with the last verse and just a short point on the path to maturity. So if those are the obstacles, now what is the clear path for maturity that Jesus gives? Let me read it for, verse, for us in verse 23. It says, As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, in another thirty. <laughs> After I read this, I was, I was like expecting this like grand like encouragement, like, now, after all these obstacles, this is how you remove the obstacle. And I read this verse, and I'm like, this is not helpful at all, Jesus. <laughs> like, the one who hears the word and understands it. But my question is, how do you understand the word, you know? How do you get rid of the thorns and not be in the rocky soil and not be, you know, the one that's on the path? God, Jesus, give me something greater. Help me to understand. Help me to have depth. Help me to have focus. And I want to encourage us, as a side note, like, it's okay to be honest and real with Jesus sometimes, all the time. Sometimes we don't understand. Sometimes Jesus doesn't give us a straight answer. And it forces us, ironically, it forces us to go deeper in this very moment to really get to know who God is and what he's trying to say. And so I was reading through this, and I realized, you know what? Jesus... I'm pretty sure he almost intentionally doesn't give us a magic formula or an ABC step for how to get good soil. He, he, he almost intentionally doesn't prescribe a solution. So many times, actually, you, if you read the Gospels and you, you hear about what Jesus says, every single time disciples answer a question, what does Jesus do? He doesn't answer the question. So frustrating. But it's exactly Jesus' teaching method that causes us to... Number one, see the condition of our heart. And number two, causes us to want to grow and force us to get to know him and take responsibility for that. What is God's point by finishing with this part of the good soil where he talks about, yeah, we want to have 100-fold, 60-fold, 30-fold. As I'm reading this, I realize for myself that the way to get the good soil is not something that we can do has nothing to do with what we can do. has nothing to do with how much we read the Bible, how much we read sermons, how well we apply things into our lives. has everything to do with God's work in our lives. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 6 to 7, it says, and this is Paul, he's talking, he's writing to the Corinthian church, and he's talking about how the Corinthian church was able to grow and develop a lot of gifts. He says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Isn't that amazing? When we think about all the obstacles to spiritual growth, the key to spiritual growth has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with God. It's God who gives the growth. And for many of us, this drives us up the wall. We're like, God, I thought there was like something I could do. You know, like so many of us, we're so works-oriented that this, it just confuses us. It frustrates us. And this is exactly what you need to hear, exactly what I need to hear. And this is the gospel that causes us to realize, 
I can't do anything on my own strength. It is only by the gospel of Jesus Christ and his grace that I can grow and I can go deeper in my relationship with God. It has nothing to do with me. Yes, you're LCG. Yes, you're life group leader. Yes, the Bible has different ways that it influences and impacts you. But it is only God and his Holy Spirit that allows us to see the growth that we want to see. It's only the understanding. Our responsibility is to understand and believe. Jesus, uh, there's, a, there's a verse that says, you know, what is our work? What is our role? And Jesus' response is to believe in the one whom he sent. Our role is to believe in who Jesus is, his cross. His cross, what it represents is his death, dying for all the failures that we have. Every single time we didn't understand, every single time we lack depth, every single time we lack focus, Jesus died for you for that. He loved you in spite of that. He cared for you in spite of that. He's still pursuing you in spite of that. Some of you are not even lacking, though. You're running away from God. God is still pursuing you. We didn't deserve it, but he's still pursuing us. God rose again, not only so that we can experience forgiveness, but we can overcome the lack of understanding, of depth, of focus. We can't do it on our own. Only God can give that to us supernaturally through his Holy Spirit. And if we want to be fruitful, which is ultimately what this parable is about, we want to bear fruit. We want to experience the life abundant, which for the farmer is what? A full harvest of crop, fruitfulness. The only way is by trusting in God. And the way that we can trust in God is because of what his promises. I'm going to give us one of his promises. In John 15, 5, it says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you could do nothing. And many of us, this is both a warning and an encouragement. That our role, our responsibility is to be connected to God. It's to prioritize maturity. It's to say, God, I want to grow. I want to be with you. I want to believe in you. I want to believe in who you are in every aspect of my life. That's my responsibility. You call me to repent, to confess. But beyond that, I cannot do anything else. And it's as we do that, as we respond, that God really gives us this ability to grow and to experience him in a powerful way. And I want to believe that this summer is going to be an amazing season of growth for all of us. Amen? It's going to be an awesome time where we can really grow deeper in our relationship with God and see us go from a plateau to really seeing God work in crazy ways. I want to, that's why the one thing for this morning is God's role is to expose our spiritual situation and our responsibility is to prioritize maturation. God does his part. He's exposed us in our spiritual situation. And now our role is to prioritize that maturation. I want to give us some next steps, some practicals, for things that we can do, especially as we look forward to starting new life groups uh, this summer. The first is to reevaluate your spiritual life. Reevaluate your spiritual life. I don't know if any of you have worked out before or have some kind of exercise. Sometimes what people do, I, I, the number one advice that, that workout trainers give to people who are trying to lift weights or grow is to record your workouts. I don't know if you knew that. Just recording your workouts is one of those most powerful things that you can do to help you to grow. And I want to challenge us to take some spiritual inventory of where we're at. That means 
you need to reflect. That means you need to write some things down. That means you need to take a hard look at your life and say, what are the areas that I'm strong in? What are the areas that I'm weak in? What are the areas that God wants me to grow in? Take some time. Pull out your journal. Write it on your notes app because you don't have a journal. And you never want to get a journal. But get one and use it. It's helpful. Secondly, revisit your understanding of the gospel. Revisit your understanding of the gospel. It's because so many of us, we, we've been conditioned to think that we already know everything. But to even acknowledge or ask the question, hey, you know what? Maybe I don't know as much as I think I do. Maybe I'm not of a, as good of a Christian as I think I am. Maybe my whole concept of good Christians is totally the wrong way to think about my Christian life. And if you don't know what the right way to think about it is, then ask someone. Find someone that you see they're growing, they're maturing, and ask them, help me to understand the gospel. Because I don't understand it to the full extent that I want to right now. Revisit your understanding. Lastly, recommit to growing spiritually this summer. I know that's general, but it's going to be different for every single one of us. For some of you, because you realize, you know what? I haven't been prioritizing God's word. I want to commit to reading the Bible daily. Some of us, we are reading the Bible, but we're not actually living it out. So you want to commit to saying every single day, I'm actually going to do something, even if it just takes five minutes. I want to do something because I don't want my understanding of God's word just to be up here. I want it to go down here. And you can tailor it to what I have had people, uh, there was a book that I was reading that was, that was saying, sign a contract with yourself and your LCG, your accountability partner. Write out the terms. Some of you are like legal freaks. So you like write out a formal contract. Say, I will do X, Y, and Z. And if I don't do X, Y, and Z, then X, Y, and A, B, and C will happen. You sign your name. You, you like sign it in blood and then it becomes real. Yeah, whatever works for you. But find something specific measurable, that helps you to make it tangible and say, God, I want to do this this summer because it's going to help me to grow. Amen? Okay, let's stand together as we close.